So right now, my ex-husband and I are separated. I'm sleeping on the couch. He's sleeping in a bedroom. I was just feeling very defeated and very disenchanted with life. I started playing this video game, PlayStation Home. And what you could do in the game was you would make a little avatar. I'm just walking around this little city center and somebody's screen name catches my eye. The screen name that this guy had was Ball and Biscuit. And I walked over to the person, this little avatar, he was wearing like a navy blue suit and a pink tie. And he had like a faux hawk. Definitely a tall, dark and handsome avatar for sure. And I said, the White Stripes which was my favorite band. And he was like, oh my God, you're the first person who's ever gotten it. And I was like, of course I get it. That's my favorite album right now was Elephant, which Ball and Biscuit was on the album Elephant. So we just started talking about music and he starts telling me that the White Stripes are his favorite band too. When we're getting close to the end of the eight hour conversation, I said to him, I feel really weird saying this so late in the game, but I'm married. And he was like, oh, it's okay. It's not like I thought we were soulmates. Your necessary delusion. Your necessary delusion. Why do you keep lying to yourself? Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and my favorite character was always Chandler. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we are speaking to you, then please subscribe to the podcast, rate us with five stars, and write us a nice review if you like what you hear. You can do this wherever you are listening, but specifically Apple iTunes would be very helpful if you are listening on the Purple Podcast app. Thanks. This is Love Game Part 2, folks. Part 2. If you did not listen to the beginning of our story last week, you should go right now because we are spoiling it. As you just heard in the opening, Devin was in the middle of divorcing her first husband, a guy who was admittedly wrong for her, when she found a beautiful new necessary delusion in the most unlikely of places a virtual reality video game called PlayStation Home. Her tall, dark, and handsome avatar could be Catfish, whose screen name was Ball and Biscuit, little torture fetish if you ask me, was saying all of the right things from a safe distance across the country, but only in the form of emails. He has just ridden on a Greyhound bus for three days to meet her for the very first time. Here's Devin. I'm telling you, I don't think I ate for probably a week before he got there because I was just so nervous, I could have thrown up. And me and Jesse are sitting in this parking lot. And at this point I had quit smoking, but I was stealing her cigarettes and, you know, so nervous. And he called me and he said, all right, I'm here. I just got off the bus and I was wearing a scarf because I needed something to grab. So I had this scarf. And I was like holding onto the sides of it and I'm walking down the street next to the Greyhound station and it's like downtown and it's dirty and gross and there's just all these people in a rush to get places and this guy walks out of the doors. He was very tall, bald, like shaved head and he's got like 
really broad shoulders and like huge arms. And he's carrying a guitar. He's wearing a red shirt and jeans and these like brown boots. Ball and Biscuit looked good. He actually was tall, dark, and handsome. He was baby-faced, a gentle giant named Adrian, road-torn from three days of sitting on a bus to stand right here, finally, in front of his could-be virtual soulmate, Clevo Devo, a.k.a. Devin. He put his guitar down and, like, just grabbed me and, like, you know, picked me up and we had, like, this big, huge hug and, like, this tiniest little, like, smooch. And I just remember thinking, like, you got to pick up that guitar because someone's going to steal it. Like, we're downtown, like, we have, like, this is a sketchy place. We started, like, walking really fast back to Jesse's car, and she's standing there, like, nervous, because what's going to walk back to me? Like, she didn't know either. And we got in the car, and I was sitting in the front seat, and he was sitting in the back seat, and I couldn't talk. And he couldn't talk. We were both nervous. And I took another one of Jesse's cigarettes, and then he's like, hey, can I actually have one of those, too? After almost three months of emailing about the most romantic and intimate things that they could come up with, he was actually here in Cleveland, crammed into the tiny back seat of Devin's friend Jesse's car. He wasn't a killer, or at least not yet. He was shy, actually, and sincere. The three of them chain-smoked nervously with the windows down. No one spoke, just listening to the wind tear across the windows as Jesse barreled down 271 back towards the east side of Cleveland. Devin played with her hands. Her necessary delusion sat quietly in the back seat, watching Lake Erie pass on his left. Jesse pulled the car into a parking lot for a Max and Irma's restaurant. They were meeting friends for dinner. It was a good plan. A small welcome dinner for Adrian. Unless he turned out to be a psychopath, in which case it was better to stay in public with a lot of people around. There was a bench outside the restaurant. We ended up meeting some friends and they went inside and we kind of like hung back and like just kind of like looked at each other and he gave me a big hug and like we had like our first real kiss. Devin tried to glaze over this part, but... I asked her what the kiss was like. The only thing I could describe it as, you're wearing shoes that are too small your entire life, and they hurt your feet, and you're miserable, and you don't want to wear these shoes, but you have to, because that's just the way things are. You can't get anything else. That's just your life. And it was like, I finally was with the shoes that fit. Like, he was the person that fit. It felt so right. Delusion! That was really her answer. I don't know about you, but she made me feel it. Awesome. I thought she was going to be like, he had soft lips, but bus breath. But no, Adrian was proving himself to be the real deal. For three days, he sat on a Greyhound bus. He said drove through the nastiest towns that you could imagine. Sat next to the weirdest people. He's like, because only weirdos take the bus. I'm like, I don't know why you took the bus. So the bus was three days to get to Cleveland, only two days staying with me, and then three days back to Washington. And at that point, I pretty much realized that we were both a little nuts. After a semi-awkward dinner with Devin's friends, Jesse dropped them off at home. And much like the first night their avatars had met, Adrian entered Devin's real-life basement apartment for the first time. He left his guitar and duffel bag by the door. And Devin didn't say this specifically, but... For the sake of the story, the two of them sat down crisscross applesauce on the floor and talked about everything. On the bus ride, I requested that he read my favorite book. It's called She's Come Undone by Wally Lamb. And it's about this girl's life and all these horrible things that happened to her and all of her neuroses and her anxieties. And it's just a character that's always really resonated with me. So I wanted him to read it and I wanted to hear what he thought about it and 
So we talked about the book and how he felt about the characters and he kind of described his way of loving the main character the same way that I did. In, in a lot of ways, she's not a great person, but she's this beautiful person and she's like broken into a million pieces from the time she's a little girl just searching to put herself together and you never know if she's going to get there. So we sat on the big red couch, kind of apart from each other. And my cat, like, sat in the middle of it. So, like, I couldn't really get closer to him and stuff. The cat that hated everyone. Even Devin. And he did not hate Adrian. Even the cat liked Adrian. Devin was shocked. I asked him to watch Harold and Maude with me, which is, you know, my favorite movie. Don't forget, movies and music are super important to Devin. And they act as kind of a roadmap in terms of the way that she relates to the world. So he passed the book test. Now... Harold and Maude. You're either going to look at it one of two ways. You're going to think this is the dumbest movie in the world and that was like so horribly depressing. Or you're going to look at it and think, my God, what a beautiful metaphor for life. And that's how I always looked at it. And the movie was over and he has like one tear coming down his cheek. He was like, that was beautiful. And I'm like, you could be lying to me and I don't even care. Because he took the time. He read my favorite book. He watched my favorite movie. He you know, did these things that someone else didn't do with me. The Juggalo ex-husband, or almost ex-husband. Don't forget, Devin's still technically married. She had actually just told her family they were breaking up, so Adrian's visit, sorry, existence, is a total secret. But she didn't care. Devin was removing the delusion from her necessary delusion. I mean, look at this tall, hot man that loved the white stripes standing in her living room. She had manifested this, and Adrian was impressive. He's one of those people that's so annoying because he is so musically inclined. He can play the guitar, he can play the piano, he can just hear a song once and start playing it like some sort of savant. He can play the drums. And so, yeah, he played guitar for me and stuff a lot. A lot of White Stripes. He would play, like, Ball and Biscuit because that was, you know, our song. Adrian wasn't any kind of catfish internet killer. He was just as sweet and sincere and necessarily delusional as Devin. The delusion was strong in this one. In fact, remember last week before they met when Devin said they couldn't keep talking until she heard his voice? I was like, if we're going to keep talking, I need to hear your voice. So he said, give me a half hour. And what he was doing in this half hour was gathering a bunch of change and walking like three miles to a payphone that was outside their general store. The town was so small it had a general store. They have for real tumbleweeds. There's nothing there. Nothing. He had come all the way here just to meet her. Devin was touched. They sat up all night in the living room talking. Her dirtbag roommate hiding from their voices in his bedroom. I'm just guessing. It did feel a lot like that first night talking in my virtual apartment. And I'm like, what do you think? You're here now. Do you want to run away? And, you know, he's like, no, what do you think? Do you want to run away? And I'm like, no. And he said, I'm not going to go back. The second night, he called his mom and he's like, I'm not coming back. And he was arguing on the phone with his parents. And he's like, I can't leave her. This is where I'm supposed to be. I can feel it. Night number two and Adrian wants to move in? Never mind Devin, his family wasn't happy. They were afraid for him because he's only 20 years old. He's going to this big city and we had a long talk. I was like, you can't leave your family that way. It's going to be hard enough figuring out how you're going to get here permanently eventually. Wait, 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 hold up. 
she's ready for him to move in permanently eventually? Love is a delusion, folks. A sweet, difficult, ridiculous, necessary delusion. They did sound crazy. Obviously, his family wasn't going to understand. Like, they will hate me forever and this will just never work. So that second night, we stayed up all night talking and crying and not wanting to leave, you know. And so he said he was going to leave his guitar with me. And he left the shirt that he had been wearing when he got off the bus. He's like, this is proof that I am coming back to you. With her necessary delusion back in Washington State, Devin was back to reality, back to the daycare, back to not sleeping, back to her smelly roommate and yearning for something that was just out of reach. Adrian was back too, his parents, back to his tiny town. The house was small and crowded, so he was usually back in the yard, standing and staring at the expansive land that was keeping him from her. Stay tuned after the break, but first, a word from our necessary delusional shrink, Marcus Silverman. Arthur Schopenhauer was a 19th century German philosopher whose most famous work was arguably a book called the world as will and representation. In that book he writes, all striving comes from lack. No satisfaction is lasting. Instead, it's only the beginning of new striving. A necessary delusion might be many things, but one thing we know for certain is that it's constantly changing. It might be better understood as desire. Desire is the engine of everything. It's the reason we, on a molecular level, get out of bed every morning. Part of this is a reflection of this problem having to do with how we perceive and observe our own lives. I think most of us, perhaps, have a sort of collective fantasy that when I think about my life, particularly looking into the future, what I'm doing is standing on a mountaintop, looking across a beautiful vista at a town in a valley far below. Because I can see from my vantage point the town at the base of the valley, I can sort of plan out, this is what I'm going to do. But I think the reality is the experience of moving through life is like walking through a whiteout blizzard. Having walked through whiteout blizzards several times in my life because I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, I can tell you that you don't look into the wind and the snow blowing into your face. There's no visibility whatsoever. You stare down at your feet as you trudge through the snow. And while you're doing that, you gauge one footstep in front of the other what lies ahead. There is no visibility. There is no looking far into the future. A necessary delusion might be the thing that compels us to put our boots on and put our coat on and walk out into a blizzard in the first place. But man, this, this was recorded in like 30 minutes, so it's not perfect. Uh, see if this is usable. If not, I should have some more time to work on it later this week. Love you, buddy. Delusion. So one month to the day after he left Cleveland, he flew back with just a duffel bag and he didn't have a job. Obviously, I had a part-time job and I had this creepy roommate that lived with me who always stole my stuff and my food and he smelled awful and how are we going to make it work? And I was very lucky that one of my coworkers' husbands had a landscaping business and she was like, would he do landscaping? And he was like, absolutely, I'll do whatever I need to do to stay here to, to make it work. We've got to figure this out. So the day after he came back, he went to work and we kind of just had to start living life if we were going to make this work. And he didn't have a car. 
and would work these like long, horrible hours landscaping. We didn't have a lot of money. We would split packets of ramen noodles and stuff like that. Imagine how broke you are that you're splitting packets of ramen noodles, but they were finally together. I'm sorry, I can't ignore this opportunity. They were having a ball and eating a biscuit. Ugh, I'm s- <laughs> maybe I'll take that out. <laughs> so the first weekend that he was here, my mom was throwing a party and she was adamant that I come and see her friends and I have this guy with me. How do I explain this guy? So I didn't really explain it. I just said, oh, Michelle's husband has this friend who's in town from Washington and she set us up. So I'm on a date with this guy. (laughs) But everyone at the party loved him. My mom, a lot of my mom's friends too are like very into music. There was a couple of dudes there who had like guitars with them and they were playing more than words. And Adrian had said he could play guitar. So like (laughs) they had him play guitar too. My mom, she is like the life of the party, but she is guarded when it comes to her kids. And, you know, so she's kind of like trying to size up this dude that apparently my daughter got fixed up with from her friend's husband and he met my little sister who was six at the time so she's obviously like a very important person to me and she she loved him aside from being broke things were going pretty well the family liked him Devin loved him but now we just have to get through the i need to get legally divorced part which was a whole other ball game because the juggalo didn't want a divorce. He made it as hard as it could be because he didn't want to be doing it. So as long as it could take, he was going to make it take that long. So it wasn't like he was trying to, you know, get me back or whatever, but he was just like, you're doing this to me. I'm going to make it drag out as long as humanly possible. How long did it take? It was almost a whole year. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And so that was kind of a weird thing to deal with. I'm living with this guy, but I'm married and I have this different last name. And I I do think that that part bothered Adrian that I had this other guy's like last name. Meanwhile, Adrian's family was having a hard time too. His parents did have a very hard time with everything because they had never met me. And his sister and I were the same age. And I'm dating her little brother who's five years younger than I took him away. So we finally made plans to go visit them so they could meet me and see who this horrible woman was that took their kid. The week before we left, I ended up getting viciously ill with the swine flu. And I was just starting to get better and we had to fly across the country. And so I wasn't my best version of myself, but we went there and it was like awkward but it was fine it was most awkward with his sister because we're the same age but like in totally different places mentally and she was nice to me you know nice enough his parents said they were happy that i made him so happy but they still they were sad that he was gone we were there for i think maybe like three or four days and they like cried a lot the whole time because they missed him and his sister was very guarded i mean they accepted me but they kind of like accepted that this is just the way it was going to be, that this is what was happening. Four days to say a quick hello to the family, and Adrian and Devin went back to Cleveland. We started talking, just me and him, about getting married. And I'm still married, but we wanted to get married, and we wanted to have a family. And we didn't have, like, two dimes to rub together, but we were going to figure it out. And at this point, since it was wintertime, he couldn't do landscaping anymore. He got a job digging graves... And worked brutal hours. The gentle giant from the Pacific Northwest, digging graves in the winter. 
in Cleveland. Ugh. We were only sharing this like one car that broke down all the time. So either he'd be walking or he would drive me to work and take the car and then I'd have to like hustle rides from people. And he worked with this like one million year old man. So he was like doing all of the work and exhausted. So if he was walking, he would have to get up at like five to get ready and trudge through the snow to get there by seven. And then he would get home depending on like if there was a service later in the afternoon, he would get home anywhere between like five and six at night. Imagine the level of delusion you would need to drive this kind of hustle. It was just work and life and trying to figure stuff out. And we were in no position to be even considering getting married. And so we didn't dare mention it to anyone else, but that's what we were planning on doing it's kind of like when are we going to do this and he would be like well when is the divorce going to be finalized we're doing it then we're doing it right then so my divorce was finalized on january 2010 and february of 2010 me and adrian and shannon and her husband ted went on a double date you remember shannon is the friend that used to hang with devin in the virtual world adrian was acting weird devin figured he was tired I mean, seriously, walking to work for two hours in the snow in the morning when it's still dark out? Don't you get tired just at the idea of digging graves? Why does that sound more exhausting than any other kind of physical labor? Devin said they used machines, and admittedly I was picturing shovels, but anyway, I'm getting too hung up on the graves. The point is, Adrian didn't say much at dinner. So we finished dinner and we're walking out and he kind of just put his hand on my arm and he, he got down on one knee and I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, I had legitimately, I had been legally divorced for just over a month and he asked me to marry him and Shannon is over here pregnant and like jumping up and down and crying and Ted is like taking pictures and stuff like that and we were all like equally floored because I'm like he didn't mention you that he was going to do this and she's like no he, he, he was so nervous but now I kind of have to come down from being so excited because what the hell is my mom gonna say she's not gonna be happy about this news and she wasn't she was like what are you thinking it's a fair question the juggalo had just left the picture Devin was still cleaning clown makeup off her pillowcases she couldn't be getting married again. Her mom was floored. We told her, we're doing this and we're doing this very soon. She's like, well, what do you mean? How soon? Like next year? And I'm like, next month. So he proposed to me on February 6, 2010. And I told my mother, we are getting married on March 5th, 2010. It was a Friday at the courthouse and you can be there or you cannot be there. And I think she kind of like realized she's doing this no matter what the hell I say. She didn't listen to me the first time. She's not gonna listen to me this time. I wore the same dress that I wore the day we met, that black dress with the pockets. But then I wore these bright purple leggings. I'm like, so people know I'm happy. And he wore jeans and an untucked button up shirt. Her mom showed up. So did her stepdad and some other friends and family. We got married in the middle of the day on a Friday in this courthouse. If you look at the pictures of my wedding day with Adrian and my wedding day with my ex-husband, it's not the same person at all. I was so happy when I was marrying Adrian and I was getting everything that I wanted. And at the same time, just thinking, man, this is so bonkers. This was just like a random video game that like only even like the game itself only even lasted for like seven or eight months like it was not very popular my parents took us to mario fazio's and they booked a room in the back so we could have like a private dinner mario fazio's that's fun to say mario fazio's and it was just so light and fun like my one little cousin 
bought us a toilet seat and that was our present because that's just the kind of mood it was. Devin says that despite most people doubting the marriage, they had a great time eating and laughing and celebrating the necessary delusions graduation to reality in the back room at Mario Fazio's. Warm candles lit the room, glasses clinked, and the credits rolled. This was all back in 2010. So what's happened in the 11 years since then? We don't need shrieking. <laughs> we do. <laughs> hey guys. Hi. Hi. What's going on? I'm Matt. Hi. <laughs> Say hi, Matt. Here, come here. Come on. You're not. <laughs> Can you tell him your name? I'm Jude. How old are you, Jude? I'm Oliver. Seven. And Oliver? Ten. The oldest. And you're ten? Good to meet you, man. They had two kids. Boys. And I have to admit, when I got in touch with Devin about doing this story, we hadn't spoken since high school. I had only seen her life in bits and pieces through the lens of social media. I didn't know their story, but somehow I assumed I knew the ending. And this was it. I imagined Devin would describe the wedding, everyone would give it a year, including you, the audience, and then cut to present day, cue the kids introducing themselves, and they all lived happily ever after. But Devin says it wasn't like that. She says most of the trouble came after. Weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. So we got married and it was shocking. And I don't think that anyone expected us to really do it. And then like a few months later, I was pregnant without any intervention. When we found out we were pregnant with Oliver, we had to celebrate by splitting a happy meal because we didn't have money. So we ended up on our first wedding anniversary, it was spent in our little basement apartment in our dining room with our two-month-old baby sitting next to us. But then when the baby was four months old, Adrian got laid off from the cemetery and had no job prospects. We tried everything. My car died and I was left walking, holding the baby in the rain during a rainstorm from the side of the road where the car broke down to like get to shelter at my aunt's house. And we needed somewhere to go. We couldn't afford to keep our apartment. We had a baby. And I think a little bit because of everything I had done previously with getting married before and stuff, my mom would not let us come and stay with her. The delusion hadn't gone anywhere and it was time for it to crash straight into reality. With nowhere else to go, the three of them moved across country to Washington State to live with Adrian's family in the tiny town with no stoplight. One, four, three means I love you. Have you heard of that code? One, four, three, I love you. If you already have love for the show and you want to support us, show us some love on Venmo. Send $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. Or you could just send us like as much or as little as you want, and we'll consider that love. Thanks. Washington State was tough. I'm sugarcoating it. It was impossible. They lived in a house with Adrian's mom, dad, and grown sister, and her two kids. Eight people total, sharing only 1,200 square feet. I am 
basically living now in this one tiny bedroom across the country from my family with my husband and my baby. We were sleeping on an air mattress. He ended up getting a job at that same store that he went to call me from the payphone outside. It was so bad that Adrian and I would split a peanut butter sandwich in the morning together and split a pack of ramen in the evening because we had to be able to buy formula for the baby. You hear that, Jack White? This was no ball. All biscuit. Aside from all that, the family was fighting a lot. There were some substance abuse issues in the house, and it wasn't a healthy situation for anyone. At their lowest point, Adrian told Devin to take the baby and go back to Cleveland. But she wouldn't leave him. So they stayed for three months before the situation with the family erupted into the kind of fight that sends you flying back across country to start over again from zero. I called my stepdad because he works for an airline and I was like, you have got to get us home. You have to help us. And my mom said, do it, get them home. We'll figure it out. We're homeless. My parents didn't even have an extra bedroom. We had to sleep on a pullout couch in a basement that didn't even have a door. Um, But we got home in the very beginning of September. And that wasn't great either because, first of all, I told you so. What are you doing? You know, now you're homeless with a baby. Like, what did you do? Why did you do this? For what? And they love my son, of course. Like, my mom is like the best grandma. But they also had a little kid at home. My sister was just a little kid. You know, she was in elementary school still. So they had their own whole life to worry about. I got hired back at the daycare as like a part-time substitute because obviously they were pissed at me. I, I left without any notice the first time and moved across the country for three months. Wait, Devin, though, because this is just... I mean, let me just tell you. I mean, like, did you know this when I asked for this? Like, what a beautiful story this is. I mean, truly. When I contacted you about this, did you go like, yes, this is a necessary delusion? Yeah, yeah. Because I think that we had to be a little crazy. And had we not been a little bit crazy, I don't know if we would have survived it. Absolutely. That's why it's necessary, right? I think that... The desperation that both of us felt when we were across the country, when we first met, of just being so desperate to be with each other is what held us together when times were just horrific. Over the next few years, they struggled. They lived in Devin's aunt's house, all three of them in one tiny bedroom, and they hustled. They created a new necessary delusion, and they nurtured it together every day. The delusion that one day they would find stability. We're living in my aunt's one room and this isn't the life either of us wanted. And we really didn't know if we were going to make it through it. I think Adrian really felt like he couldn't go back home and he didn't have a home here. So he was really down. And um, I didn't know how to help him because I, of course, I felt very responsible for the whole thing because... I moved you out here and now you're married with a baby and you're only, he was like, he was only 21 when the baby was born. Devin climbed the ladder at the daycare and Adrian found odd jobs, landscaping when the weather was good and whatever else he could do to make it work the rest of the time. He was like a janitor and he hated it. It was like the most soul crushing experience and he was so miserable. And um, we ended up getting the kind of car that two people with horrible credit are able to get. But they raised their son, and they loved each other, and they made it work. Little by little, piece by piece, Adrian got a better job. 
but more money meant less time with the family. It was physical work, emergency relief, cleaning up after disasters. He cleaned up after Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Harvey. But then we started seeing the benefits of that. He was working overtime. I mean, I'm telling you, he busted his butt. He got his wisdom teeth pulled and went to work three hours later because we had to survive and we had nothing. Devin was promoted at the daycare, from receptionist to office manager and then assistant director. We were able to get an apartment. And we're like, oh my God, this apartment has two bathrooms. This is the best thing in the world. Like, we made it, man. We, this, this has, we are set, right? So, like, a few days before Christmas, I didn't even feel weird or anything. I was just like, I'm gonna just, I just wanna, this will be so funny. I'll take a pregnancy test. It's gonna be negative and blah, 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 blah. I looked down at that test. I was like, you've got to be joking. We just started like clawing our way out of this hole and I am pregnant. Are you kidding? I was so scared to tell my mom. I'm like, she's going to like, she's going to hate me. This is going to be the worst thing in the world. He comes home from work. I'm holding this pregnancy test and he's like, whose is that? It's mine. We're having a baby. Merry Christmas. (laughs) And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. And We're freaking out. Now, mind you, he's got this great job. We are more than able to afford our apartment and our bills. We each have cars now. I'm the assistant director. I remember calling my mom and I was like, mom, I got to tell you something. And I was like crying and I was so upset. And she was like, honey, that is so great. And I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, aren't you furious? Like, you weren't happy when you found out about Oliver. She's like, you shouldn't have been having a baby when we found out about Oliver. She's like, you guys have made it through something horrible. And where you are now is not where you were then. And so I kind of felt like I could breathe. Like, I'm like, okay, so so this one's right. We did something. Like, this is... This is good. We're going to have another baby. And, you know, it was was still, like, real hard. And, you know, he's now he's traveling with work, and I've got a toddler, and I'm pregnant. So that was tough. I love how it flipped. Everything's working, and they're the last ones to see it. Because we get hung up on new necessary delusions along the way. New impressions of ourselves that can be hard to shake. But things are better now. They bought a house last year. The family's tight-knit. They have two boys and two dogs. Adrian isn't the kind of person to speak on a podcast, but a big part of the reason that I reached out to Devin for the story is because I could tell how in love they still are from the way she talks about him online. It was refreshing to see. I wanted to know more, and I got way more than I bargained for. She says he's the best dad, sweet and considerate, and focused on giving his family the best parts of himself. Recently, they were home watching TV one evening, and Devin got up to take a shower. A little while later, Adrian came upstairs knocking at the bathroom door to check on her. He was just concerned that she had been gone for too long. We kind of like remind ourselves that even though it's been so crazy, it's also been so fun and it's not going to be perfect and it's going to be messy and it's going to be painful and we're going to do it together. We do all this crazy stuff where we'll sleep in a tent in downtown Detroit to go to the opening of Jack White's record store because... We're not poor anymore and we can afford to do stupid stuff like that and go and see them in concert. The White Stripes music is very unpolished. And every single time we go to a show and he plays that song, Ball and Biscuit, like he'll put his arm around me or we'll hold hands and I'll be like crying. And it's just like really like hard song. It's not like a ballad or anything. And I probably look like a nutcase because I'm in the front row 
And I'm just like singing my lungs out to this song and crying because, man, if you didn't write that song, I wouldn't have my babies. Like I wouldn't have this life. And I know a lot of people think we're weird because we're so into it. That's the only art I have on my walls is posters from his shows and stuff. But we owe him everything. So the song starts out. It's quite possible that I'm your third man, girl. Right now you could care less about me, but soon enough you will care by the time I'm done. <sighs> Let's have a ball and a biscuit, sugar. Take our sweet little time about it. Tell everyone in the place to just get out and we can clean together and find a soapbox where I can shout it. So you're gonna, you are making me cry. <sighs> My strength is tenfold, woman, and I'll let you see it if you want to before you go. Let's have a ball, girl. We're gonna take our sweet little time about it, which I do feel like... In a way, we took our time getting to a good place because um, we had to. <laughs> I think that if you told anybody the day that he proposed to me that we're going to end up here where we are, no, I don't think anyone would have believed it. I don't even know if I would have because the odds were very stacked against us. And a lot of it was by our own design. Like we made these choices to do these things and we put ourselves into bad positions. So that's why I can't regret anything. I can't even regret getting married the first time because every single thing I've done in my life like has led me up to this point. It was all I could do to stop myself from calling up Ryan Fine and asking him to write us a ball and biscuit knockoff for the end of this episode. Which is just to say, Ryan Fine can write all kinds of music. He does it for birthdays and businesses and anniversaries. Go to ryanfine.com, click on custom songs. If you want to follow Devon on social media, you can find her celebrating her own vulnerability with fresh content every day on TikTok at clevodevo, C-L-E-V-O-D-E-V-O, at clevodevo on TikTok. Thank you for being here, Earth Monster. Do not forget to subscribe to the podcast. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week for a story that I'm calling comedy dropout. People don't talk a lot about falling out of love with their career. And I felt really weird. I mean, just the same as you do like in a relationship where you're just like, you know, this thing is feeding me, it's taking care of me, but like, I just don't love it anymore. And what's wrong with me? Don't forget to write us a review wherever you're listening, specifically on Apple iTunes would be great. That's the Purple Podcast app. Definitely rate us five stars. And if you find yourself connecting with us, then send us a dollar and 43 cents on Venmo to show your love. The name on Venmo is at your necessary delusion. Necessary is N-E-C-E-S-S-A-R-Y, Earth Monster. I'm going to teach you how to spell necessary. And if you have a necessary delusion of your own and you want to share it, please hit me up on Instagram at yesmatthew or email us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. necessary delusional thing that you do frequently i don't want it to sound depressing but like i guess that i'm doing something positive that i'm leaving a positive impact on the world in a sense i work with kids and it's funny because recently i found in my car a comic book that he made and this kid has been gone from the center for, I don't even know, he's probably like 15 now. I was the only person who could really get him to calm down. 
but a comic book and it was called Miss Devon Super Day and like he made me like a superhero and my character and his character like went out to get Happy Meals and stuff like that and it was the cutest thing so I keep it in my glove box in my car because I'm like that reminds me that even like on the worst days where I'm like, oh my God, I hate everything about being an adult and having to work. Like I have something like that that really shows me like, I know that kid's going to remember me. Ta-ta-delusion.